0: Before we get started, please give us a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a couple of seconds, and most likely you're probably on either one of those apps this very moment. A little bit of effort on your end goes a very long way in getting this podcast to as many people as possible. We're all on this journey of awakening and self-discovery. Let's help some other people tune in and listen to these authentic, connected, inspiring conversations. I won't talk your ear off anymore. We got a great episode, and here it is. Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Alana Seskin, she's the owner of Una Pluma, super soft organic cotton clothing crafted with care for you and our planet. Designed in Portland, Oregon and sewn in Kathmandu. In this conversation, we discuss Alana's love for Nepal and what's kept her coming back over the last two decades. We also explore her journey of starting and running a business and what it really means to create ethical and sustainable fashion. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presents. Welcome to Opening Presents. I need to plug in. The charging cable but nevertheless we are starting the podcast there we go thank you so much for joining us today I am joined by Alana Seskin. How are you?
1: Doing great thanks. Happy happy to be here with you. Take two.
0: Yeah take <laughs> two we actually recorded this podcast a few months ago um but due to technical difficulties um from an incompetent host. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see. No, I'm the host of the podcast. That was okay. called self-deprecation.
1: Got it. Yeah. I thought it was due to my microphone skills.
0: No, no. This is actually a much more aligned round two, though, even though it took some convincing on, on my end. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad uh, to be doing this again. And we are in what I feel is the heartbeat of Una Pluma right now. What is, what is this space?
1: This is the storeroom. Uh, this is my basement. It's where all the clothing lives. Um, it's where we ship everything out of, it's where everything gets shipped into. Oh, there's a lot of in and out. Yeah. A lot of clothes. (laughs) Yo, there's
0: like like I wanna say like tens of thousands of garments, individual garments. Yeah, every
1: year for taxes I get to guess how much is in here and um yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I won't tell you how much I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: we'll definitely like dive into um, where Una Pluma came from and the motivation and the inspiration that um, got you to where you are today. But I want to kind of go start backwards or start from like the beginning of like what growing up in Oregon was like and the journey that took you to Kathmandu.
1: Yeah, growing up in Oregon was great. Um, I grew up in down, well, the downside of Council Crest kind of towards towards Beaverton, went to Lincoln High School. Um, and Portland at that time, I don't know. I mean, it, it felt really fun. Our high school was downtown and um, downtown was a great place to hang out as a teenager. Actually, we used to go to concerts, we used to do all the things. And I feel like growing up here, I felt like anything was possible you know I feel I feel like it seemed as though there was a lot of opportunity and um creativity in the city Mm -hmm.
0: do you feel like it's the same type of creativity that is here today or how has it changed
1: oh wow I don't know because I've changed so much um (laughs) I think I mean, to me, it seems more evolved. I feel like people are doing much more elevated things at this point, but, you know, I'm a lot older than a 15, 16-year-old, so. I mean, you're like 16 at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks,
0: (laughs) Did you explore your creativity back then when you were young?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. I actually made my first ever clothing. I made six skirts. In, let's see, I was probably 16, 17, my, I somehow convinced my parents that I could get on a Greyhound bus and go down to a reggae festival with actually my brother's friend, who was still living in town, um, in California, in Frogtown. It was a reggae music festival. And I made these six skirts. They were so beautiful. They had like, each one had three colors, and they had these like kind of diagonal lines going down I'm like pieced together. So you'd see each of the colors twice, except one you'd only see once. Anyway, they were very beautiful, and I made six of them, and they were lined so you wouldn't feel the um, the seams tickling your legs. And I took them on the bus, and I sold them in the parking lot, all six within wow. the first, like, 36 hours. Damn. And, yeah, and that paid for my trip down there, and I was like, wow, I can make things and sell them. <laughs> yeah,
0: where did, like, the inspiration to make clothing come from?
1: Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, clothing was... Well, actually, I just flashed on the fact that maybe it came from my mom. Um, when I was younger, I ice skated uh, competitively, and she used to always sew my costumes. Um, she had a sewing machine, and she would, you know, in these costumes, I mean, I, I, I'll never wear one again. But, you know, imagine like sequins and like a leotard with sequins and a little skirt and all this stuff. But that actually takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of sewing skill and I think maybe by just seeing that kind of skill she made my Halloween costumes. I'm sure through seeing that and then as I got older I really got into kind of um well, I really got into skirts. It all started with skirts. Mm-hmm. The first skirt I called my mom one day at work and I was like, Hey mom, I was like, how much do you like that purple sheet up in the In the cabinet and she was like I don't know why and I was like well can I cut it up and make a skirt and and how about the blue pillowcase and that was probably Mm -hmm. like the first skirt I made and I started out just by yeah cutting up any big fabric I could find I just wanted skirts that you could move in Mm
0: -hmm. and dance in yeah that have
1: like you could spread your legs and you know like what I'm wearing right now you guys can't see
0: yeah
1: uh but that's really important to me, like long skirts where you actually have mobility. Yeah. You know?
0: Most definitely. That's awesome. This see, this is why I'm glad that we're doing this again because that is a major component to the story and figuring out how we land on the paths that we're currently on as adults. It's like where does it all begin? Yeah. Um, a lot of the times it's like filling a void that was never filled when we were young and we have to like kind of uh backtrack and and. Uh, help ourselves out. I mean, out. isn't
1: everything we're doing in our adult life like trying to fill voids? Yeah, but like
0: seeing like the seed of in- of inspiration, like totally. to go to a reggae fest and sell, like how validating of an experience to choose something, like I'm going to make something.
1: Well, and, and at that time I was a kid, so I had no money, you know? Yeah. So like buying the ticket and the Greyhound ticket and all that, it was a couple hundred bucks. And like in my mind, it was like, could I, could I make this an activity that pays for itself?
0: Yeah, but it's like most people, and it, myself included, like I wouldn't even ask like my mom if I was like into making skirts or whatever. I would be like, I wouldn't think like, oh, let's repurpose the pillowcase like or repurpose the fabric or the blanket or whatever. It's like, no, you have to go to a store and purchase the fabric and all that kind of stuff and go the traditional professional like there's steps and things. Yeah, rather I've than never looking, been professional. Rather than looking at the <laughs> things that you have and it's like oh like we can repurpose these things and make it into something else and give it a second life and that's something um uh i guess it's like the baseline of resourcefulness at the end of the day and um having that kind of like as your, like a natural state of like looking around and like what can i do in like with what i have is something i don't feel like uh I think it's something that's like stopping a lot of creative processes is Well, is I think that. it's
1: absolutely vital if you're an entrepreneur to be able to do that. You mm-hmm. know? What can I do with what I have? Because even now in my business, that's like the the core question because there's always there's always things that aren't gonna go exactly as you planned, or maybe you don't feel like you have everything at your fingertips. But the question is what can you make with what you have? Mm-hmm. How can you how can you do the best with what you have?
0: Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I'm learning that day by day. So growing up in Portland, you're a free spirit, let's say. Um,
1: free bird was the term often used. Free
0: free bird. <laughs> but where did your curiosity lead you? Because you're an extremely well-traveled person. And some of the adventures that kind of informed what Uno Pluma is.
1: Yes. So my, um, my curiosity led me to Nepal it i i graduated high school early and i really wanted to go somewhere uh with a lot of culture with a unique culture with something really different than what i was experiencing i was clearly a little over high school to want to leave early and i wanted to see something really different so i went to nepal um and was blown away by the culture and the vibe of the country and um the kindness of the people and I was there as a volunteer and it felt really uncomfortable and the whole experience was full of challenges actually that first trip and I I left a little earlier than I thought I would even Um, but yeah then got home and just kept kept dreaming of Nepal and really wanted to go back there and learn from people there like I had originally gone to try to teach and volunteer in whatever you know programs teenage older teens get pushed into but um, I realized that there was so much skill in Nepal, like whether, Mm -hmm. you know, at first maybe I thought it was like through farming or, um, things like that, which there is amazing farming in Nepal, but I quickly realized I'm not a farmer. Um, so, so yeah, so basically it landed, that travel landed me in Kathmandu, which is where I, I discovered, I guess you'd say handicrafts Mm -hmm. and skilled workers and
0: I want to dive into that, but what it, what about Nepal attracts you and still like inspires you to go back like whether it's like the people or societal traditions the things the things that make you feel like warm and connected yeah,
1: it's the people thanks for that question i well, I just got back actually, I was there in May, and the strongest thing I actually got like <laughs> I got really sad the week after I got back, and the thing I realized is how special. It's it's a vibe, it's the people, but just how magical and special the culture is there, that people really see you, that people pause, that people go deep in conversations, that even a small conversation with a taxi driver or, you know, with somebody who's, like, cutting clothes, like, even just 30 seconds, it feels like you go really deep, and mm-hmm. that people really see you, and I don't know, it, it, I, I love the vibe of the people in the city and there's like a magnetism too that just mm. attracts everything you need
0: do you feel like you were accepted right away as a white woman american woman
1: <laughs> um well i mean accepted yes because nepali people are so kind like they don't push people out mm-hmm. um accepted for sure accepted the way I wanted to be accepted, maybe not. Like at first, of course, everyone gawks at you like, buy this, hashish, hashish, one rupee, give me this, give me one, you know. And I guess the point that I really felt accepted is when that stopped, when I could like speak the language and could joke with people and I stopped being seen as that, mm-hmm. you know, as a white woman with money from the West. Mm-hmm. Um, that That was when I really felt like I was accepted
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like that's something that I long for when I visit Mexico because I go pretty often like I've been to Mexico like four times in like the last three years so I I feel like I go there enough yeah and like that's the one thing that's missing because it's just like I can speak Spanish like just to basically just like give a rundown of where I'm from and who yeah. I am and like these signifier things of like, this is where I'm from. This is like my brother. And yeah. like, I used to do this. When like I was 10 young. point, 10 yeah. point taxi. Combo. Yeah. And then that's about it. <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, there's something missing in my interactions here. And yeah, it's like, it's I really like speaking. special
1: when you can go deep. I mean, I lived in Kathmandu for the better part of 10 years, like from 2002 to 2012, not the whole time, but most of that time. Mm-hmm. And, when you really spend time in a place, I mean, now when I go back there, it's like, I mean, I know those back alleys, like the back of my palm, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and people, it's still, you know, just people in grocery stores or whatever. I mean, all of that that you get by being there every single day and then people know you and watch you grow up. And I mean, I even thought when I came home and was so sad this last time to be home, sometimes I feel more seen there and more. Um, accepted more who I am in Kathmandu than anywhere else in the world mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah I can definitely resonate with that I think people are so caught up in themselves here where it's like they don't even take a second to like witness someone else's like right existence and, right? and fully like experiencing that um yeah it's a lot of like aversion and a lot of stuck in the mind
1: here. well it's it's also what we were just talking about before we turned on these mics but slowing down like people in nepal when you walk away from someone a common thing to stay, say is Bistare janus." it means like go slowly mm. like people really the whole life there is so much slower mm-hmm. and you know you're, you you mentioned that you're good at going slow it's actually i mean that's why you're good at what you're doing right now that's why you do go deep with people you know you're a deep thinker and i think when you have a whole culture that's good at sl- going slow it means you have like a whole culture of deeper thinkers deeper interactions
0: mm-hmm. yeah we have a culture of who can go the fastest right and get rewarded the biggest like, the fastest thing. strongest yeah oh lord like... yeah we got to definitely backwards so i want to go back to where you're talking about like uh like learning to work with your hands and like introduction into factories and and an assembly line and and where you found yourself um yeah
1: yeah so it started super small basically I realized I wanted to live in Kathmandu and then of course you know what to do in Kathmandu like what are you gonna do there um and I'm just gonna twiddle my thumbs and I needed money um I mean, the economy was such that, honestly, I could live there for a while without money coming from here. You know, the first time I went, I went with $2,000, and I had like nine months' worth of visa time. And that $2,000 more than lasted me those nine months. I mean, it's crazy. The, I mean, that was a while ago, too, but the, the difference in economy between the two countries is really big. But yeah, so I, I needed something to do with my time and my mind, and I wanted a way that I could, I had seen, like we talked about, that you can sell things and that you create and make money from it, and I really wanted to grow on that. So at first I actually learned to make jewelry, and I spent, um, I spent like a couple years every day in a little jewelry factory um, working with, it was like, there was two rooms, and each room had probably 15 people working in it. Um, all men and then there was me with my little desk and uh yeah I, I learned from the guy next to me Chandra and any questions I had he would help me and I basically just went every single day and sat at my desk and like learned to make rings and earrings and and then um yeah I really I mean I learned a lot in that little workshop <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's so wild that like you're in a factory with, like, all men. It's like <laughs> there's nobody that you resonate with and, like, that idea... Or not resonate with. And there I was mean, lots of I people mean, that I... Mean I, reason- that you re- I misspoke, but just, like, somebody that has the same background as you. Yeah. In that space, but yeah. then just to be there on and off for 10 years is something that's, like, like a life commitment. It's just, like, yo, this this pull to this place in the world, like, pulls so hard that I, I have to be here, in a sense, because... It's, it's like all your friends are going to college and then like eventually like going to like start do like the traditional like but I'm gonna I get a job to do and all that kind different. of
1: stuff. And yeah. I I don't know, I believe that true friends will last through any distance and I still have some friends that I had them, but it was definitely a thing that I walked away from everyone mm-hmm. um and went to the other side of the world. But yeah.
0: Yeah, what was the process of like beginning to sell your work?
1: Yes. Yeah, so as I as I learned in the jewelry workshop, um, as my time, because there was some visa issues, as my time was kind of ending in Nepal the first year, the guys that I was working with were like, well, let's make, you know, I worked really slow, um, like really slow. One ring would take me a long time or one pair of earrings. And so they were like, we'll replicate your designs. And then you take them and go sell them and make some money and come back and learn from us again. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, yeah, good guys. Uh and so that was the plan, and that's what we did. And so we did that for, like, a couple years, really. And I took my jewelry the first summer I came back to Portland. And next summer, I think I went to Ibiza. Um, that's a long story that I'll spare you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would just take the jewelry and sell it, make enough money to go back, live again, and get started again. But honestly, I, I tired of... um of the the dual lifestyle, if you will, that there was one place that I was living and not earning anything and just spending money. And then there was one place that I was going to make money and then go back to the other, you know, and every time I was giving up my apartment and giving up my whole life. And so I really wanted something that I could sell in Nepal. Mm -hmm. And that was the real pivotal juncture um, for Una Pluma, I feel like. And at that same time, um, I had met someone who, he had me doing some work in garment factories in Kathmandu for him and like sending him like overseeing some of the work he was doing because of course you live in Kathmandu you meet a lot of different people um and overseeing some of the work that he was doing and that had kind of given me a eye into this whole world of garment factories I was still making jewelry at the time but just seeing a peep into that world had Mm -hmm. me be like wow this is a whole other thing
0: (laughs) Yeah, like. Being in this room, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how much goes into it and like larger scale so productions and much. Yeah. And a lot of the factories like, like do so much for all these different types of brands and companies and stuff. It's not like. Like, some companies own their own factories, but those are, like, one and... No, f-
1: if you own your own factory, it's because you're huge. Like, I don't, I don't really know. I've never seen a factory that's owned by one company. And, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, how many factories have I seen? Well, let's say there's no factory in Kathmandu that's owned by one company. Sure. Um, I'm sure there is in places in India and China, but these are, these are huge. These are people selling, like, multi-million... Not even multi-millions, billions probably Mm -hmm. for the most part people share factories and so that's actually kind of one of the biggest problems like i never actually want to be so big that i could own my own factory but sometimes i think it would help the process because when you have multiple companies working in one factory let's how to say this kindly you're responsible for it be other companies mistakes become your responsibility you Mm -hmm. have to pick up their trash you know what i mean in what way I mean, like if companies aren't paying, you know, so for example, there's, there's companies that owe my factory, one company that owes my factory a lot of money and it's not, I I always pay ahead of time, like. I do everything I can to to make sure that money is flowing in. And then I learned that like it's not trickling all the way down. You know, my factory owes my fabric supplier a ton of money. Mm. And then I was like, I learned that right when I landed on this last trip. And I was like, well, how could this be? You know, like I always pay so promptly. And he's like, it's not you. And it comes out that, you know, basically three times as much as my factory owes to the fabric supplier. This U.S.-based company owes to them. Mm-hmm. And this is problematic, you know? This is this is really problematic. Um, And so, yeah, you have to, when you work in a factory where a lot of brands work, I mean, I wish you could, like, vet the other brands or something because mm-hmm. it creates so many problems if people aren't paying. You can only imagine. I mean. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah like, yeah, factory processes, like, that's a whole giant thing global fashion but let's let's keep it <laughs> okay small like where is what is your process like when it comes to creating a single garment
1: thanks for keeping it uh no
0: no no, no. We'll, we'll definitely yeah we'll definitely go into that as <laughs> what well, is my yeah because it's like like we all want to like live our passion and yeah and have something that's deeply connected that we express with the world and have people resonate with it and if somebody were to walk into this room like and they're like oh i'm interested in making clothes they may be intimidated or not know where to start but yeah. where does your creative process start
1: so that is really hard to pinpoint on the nose but i i mean i think i draw i'm always drawing influences i'm always like I will most likely remember your face. I won't most likely remember your name. I will definitely remember what you were wearing down to what fabric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always notice what people are wearing and I'm doing that all the time. And I'm always, my brain is always churning of like, what would be a great thing to wear? It's just always there. And so then I go through these big pushes of, you know, often I make like paper patterns um, where I physically make a pattern and a sample of this thing that's been living in my brain. I won't lie, I base stuff off of other clothes I have. Like perhaps I have a dress that I like, but I wish it was a little shorter and I wish it had this and I wish it had that. And then you can, I just work from there to like transform it, if you will. Um, Lately, I'm doing a little more sketching even and trying to like draw out an idea and then I'll send it with stats, like with measurements to the factory But basically, I get my idea one way or another, whether that's through paper patterns or sketches with measurements to the factory. And, um, well, and really the best way is if I'm there. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, this last trip I brought like 10 designs and we busted them all out. It was amazing. Um, But yeah, the idea gets to the factory and then there's a cutting master there. Uh, He's... The only name I know for him is Cutting Master or Master G. His real name is Master G, which means like respectable master. Yeah, Master G. So uh so the my ideas get to Master G, and Master G from there, he can make any pattern. Even if I send him a physical fa- pattern, I mean, I've heard through the grapevine, he doesn't really like my patterns. No, <laughs> <laughs> It's not that he doesn't like them, but they're not perfect, is what he said. This mm. is not a perfect pattern. Like, because I don't fold things as even as him, I mean, he gets it. You, you won't even find a millimeter of error. Mm. He's just really precise. He's been doing this forever, and he's a total genius. And um, Master G, Namaskar. Uh, he, he can make anything. And so he's the next person who turns the idea into a pattern. And then he gives instructions to the cutting ma- or the, there's a couple cutting masters, I guess, but he gives the instructions to the, another cutting master who's in the sampling room who cuts the fabric for it. And then there, basically there's a whole sampling room. And then there's four people up in the sampling room who do sewing. So that sampling room, it's like the top, almost, you know, it's two down from the top of the factory, but it's a whole floor and uh there's four sewers and the two people cutting and that's where like the ideas really become a reality Mm -hmm. um it's my favorite place to hang out if I could hang out there all day every day I would (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it feels like like there's a point where you like hand off your idea because I think a lot of people myself included like wants to be a micromanager and like oversee everything (laughs) and I think like communication is a huge thing too it's like how do you um, communicate things that aren't right with something and yep. and still stay respectful so it doesn't get emotional like oh yeah like are there yeah well, like what, I is mean, that, what, what is that what is that like
1: so what I'm learning is you know if I'm doing this process from a distance I hand off my idea in whatever form paper pattern or sketches and measurements and then I just wait And then I get a physical sewn garment back and then I have to evaluate like, oh, this could have used this little tweak or maybe the stitching should have been like this. And then either decide, like, do we are these changes minimal enough that we just take them straight into production or do I need to see another sample? Mm -hmm. Um, And that whole process takes like, you know, from when I send the idea, that can take like a month which is fine, but as someone who's always running late on the seasons, I'm I'm just learning that I should really go twice a year and just oversee the sampling. Mm-hmm. That's like the most valuable trip I think I could make because this last time, go like if I go, in just even a couple days in the factory, um, we can make so much stuff. And I mean, half the time that I was there, this last time hanging out in the cutting room, like I'm just sitting there, let's be honest. I'm just sitting there spacing out, looking at my phone, whatever. But anytime there's a question... Ilana Didi, like, and then they can just ask me, and because with the night and day time difference, that's not a thing otherwise, I'm sleeping when they're working, so question, one tiny question, even like, this, you know, this pattern doesn't look quite right, right here, can we do this little change, or it's going to create a lot of wastage, can we do it this way, Mm -hmm. that question takes 24 hours, and then, you know, therefore Master G moves on to something else, and I get shoved in the line again, Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) like, Yeah. So if I'm there, sampling becomes real next level. We can iron out every detail. We can really dial things in.
0: Mm. So once sampling is complete and you're set on like the colors and like, like everything's like ready to go, how do you handle like production and then like shipping it back? Here. To Portland,
1: yeah. So once sampling's done, I mean, once sampling's a hundred percent approved, they make the the final patterns, get graded, and then you should see. I mean, there's like wall, huge wall, two walls of all the patterns of the seventy companies that work there, all mm-hmm. hanging in all four, th- three, four, five sizes. um Anyway, my pattern gets filed. It's got like code numbers, and then that pattern's good to go. And then it's other parts of the factory that kind of the sampling room now never thinks about that again. Mm-hmm. Um and it gets passed off and so there's so I place an order um just by saying, you know, I want well, there's a style name and which colors and how many sizes. And then that spreadsheet goes to the cutting another cutting master <laughs> um who stacks the fabric in huge stacks, like all the different fabrics I want. He you know, he's the one who has to mastermind like okay, there's this many in blue in each size. Like, let's lay this much blue fabric. So you have to lay out all the fabrics and then he cuts them. Well, he works with one other guy too. And they cut everything in huge stacks. And then that gets sent to stitching. And then after stitching, and that's, and then they have the, the people stitching it whoever's stitching it will have the physical sample we've made. So they're looking at the sample, they're looking at the pieces, and then that just runs, you know. And once the stitching's done running, it goes to finishing, where they trim all the threads, mm-hmm. and then folding, and then packing. And then, it, um, you know, and a lot, I mean, these are, there's so many people who touch a garment. Like, you can't believe, I mean, if you just think through what I just told you, that's a lot of hands, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and yeah the finishing the finishing is all done around this big table with like the most amazing crew of women they are they 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 light up a room um anyway a lot of people go into this it gets packed it gets folded gets packed into our awesome cloth bags and my cargo guy Mahesh he um he basically goes to the factory and picks up all the boxes in a mm-hmm. truck takes them to the airport essentially where you have to clear customs you have to clear customs on on clothing Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: you clear nepali customs and then they you know ultimately these days sit at the airport for like one to seven days waiting for a plane and then they get on a plane and once they get on that plane from nepal they're here in like three to five days Mm -hmm. boom big boxes on the doorstep
0: yeah so then you're you have all of these clothes and i think from this point what are some of like the hallmark garments that you are like
1: excited about
0: yeah
1: um well so first we'll say the couple things that everyone's excited about and then we'll say the things that i'm yeah, excited yeah. about so everyone loves unders this is the thing i've learned that's that's the un- over there is the unders uh you know what do you what do you call one of those cabinet yeah cabinet or like our, our, m- our Yeah, yeah our, our more. <laughs> yeah so that's got the full unders rainbow
0: is that what you kind of started with
1: with unders? Yeah. No, unders just started in twenty nineteen. Uh-huh. Um yeah. Unders are like the the game changer. Mm-hmm. They're the bread and butter. They're the thing that I didn't know till I knew I needed. Um <laughs> Yeah. Unders they're just really cute and comfy and they're cotton and it turns out there's a real void today in cotton underwear. I don't know how or why, especially for women. Um, I feel I am going to start making men's underwear and I'm super excited about that, but I feel like the void in cotton underwear is more for women, like all this lasty polyester stuff. Come on, who wants to wear polyester in there? You know, that area needs to breathe. Everywhere needs to breathe, but especially down there, people, you want to wrap that in a plastic bag? No, thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's why I started the underwear is just because cotton underwear was hard to find and, um, it's been very popular. Also, Crop tops. This is called the vinyasa top over here. We just got our first ever printed version. Um, They're reversible. I don't have one on, but I usually do. Um, They're super cute and comfy and exceptionally popular. Mm -hmm. I would say those are the two things that move a lot down here. The thing, if I'm looking around right now, what am I the most excited about? Um, Two things. I'm really excited about our new print. It's uh it's this, you know, it looks like a bandana except it's pink and white. Um that print was all over Kathmandu the last time I was there and but in the local market in like black and white only, like white with black print, black with white print, and it was like, you know, shorts and hoodies and like uh I mean even face masks, t-shirts, it was on everything. Everywhere you went in Kathmandu somebody was wearing that, you know and so i just asked like our well i made them take me to our screen printer prim day uh i I went on the bike and uh i was like i held up something i would bought in the local market i was like do you have this screen because he he prints a lot for the local market i figured he must have the screen you know and uh yeah and so he had the screen and we went for it in pink and white i brought well and we went for it in the curry anyway I'm really excited about that print. It's coming out in cute summer sets. It's gonna launch next week. We just did the photo shoot for it. I feel like it's um it's a total twist from what I saw in Kathmandu, which was kind of uh which was super street style and stuff, but looked a little hard and rough and this is the like super soft and sexy feminine version of this print, mm-hmm. and it just feels exciting,
0: yeah. What are like the primary materials? Because you said you use a lot of like cotton. Like it's a, uh, it's a space that people like need softness on their underparts and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But I feel like there's like a lot of intention when it comes to selecting fabrics and and Absolutely. even coming up with patterns and whatnot. I guess like what is like Una Pluma's ethos when it comes to constructing garments?
1: Yeah. So all of our fabrics, with the exception of like one shelf that's behind you, literally that's like the one shelf exception um is organic cotton uh, either ninety five percent organic cotton with five percent stretch. The stretch is kind of necessary for undergarments, especially in leggings and tight things um or hundred percent organic cotton and it feels really important. I am I hate plastic. And I'm super anti all these plastic fibers. I mean, it actually, it blows my brain that this has become popular. Polyester and things like this, they've been around for less than 70 years. Like, that's nothing in the great scheme of things. And do you know how long it takes for one polyester garment to, like, return to the earth?
0: Probably, like, 175 years.
1: I mean, the guesses are all over the place. Some people say 150. Some people say, like, 200. The truth is, we don't know, guys. It's only been around for 70 years. We have no clue how long this is going to take to go back to the earth. And it horrifies me to think of all this stuff that gets thrown away. And not to mention, it just stinks when you wear it. Like you wrap yourself in a plastic bag and your shirt gets all stinky. And then you're like, oh, I've only worn this shirt three times, but it's stinky. Let me throw it away. And now it's going to live on our planet for the next hundreds of years longer than me yeah you know (laughs) so natural fibers cotton
0: natural fibers baby
1: natural fibers return to the earth cotton completely will disappear within like five months
0: yeah so what's it like building a brand and a brand identity and having like marketing and shooting like photos and like actually like a A voice and putting a voice out there that that I'm like just trying this
1: I'm how many years in I've been doing this since 2008 and this past week I think was my first week of trying to be a brand that has marketing no (laughs) I it's not it doesn't come naturally to me it's not something I went to school for um I'm more about just doing things that I think are really great Um, but I'm learning that lots of people do want to know about this kind of stuff and putting information out there about your ethics and your fabrics and why it's important is a really good idea in the world. Um, yeah.
0: How do you feel like people have found you and and been able to like purchase your goods without like prioritizing marketing?
1: Yeah. I mean, the organic way, um, people have found me through Etsy mm-hmm. because I have an Etsy shop. I'm not running through my own website. I've never like prioritized, you know, Google search optimization or things like that, but Etsy has its own search engine and I feel like it's really good for for me especially because most of the organic cotton companies on there are um much more expensive than mine probably because most of them are made in the US and so it's it it was easy for me to get a little popular on there and their search engine just worked for me. I don't know. I got lucky. Mhm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I do appreciate is that like your process is super organic and you give yourself the freedom to try new things and like reach out to your community, meet new people and then have them model for you and then <laughs> you know photographers and it's like hey, like two different photographers with two different styles can shoot one like, shoot. Yeah, the same Uno Pluma stuff, but then it's just like it all works together because it's, it's a human process and it's not this large corporate thing. And I think that's something that's really admirable.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you've been part of one of the shoots, you know. I have. Um, yeah, it's, that's like the most fun part of it for me. And we just did a photo shoot actually with two of the models I met at your recent event, um, The Match. Mm-hmm. The Pdx for those of you in Portland, look it up if you know you know. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah so it to me and and to me that's kind of one of the most special parts is these photo shoots with people who are not models with just people I meet with my friends with my community my family um and it always kind of surprises photographers too like I just did a a photo shoot with Nicholas Wilson um and yeah he was really awesome um shout out to him but he was also surprised you know he's worked with so he does tons of fashion photography. It was my first time working with a specific fashion photographer, which was really cool um and he he's not used to working with i mean he did an amazing job, but he he loved the vibe of like working with people who are not normally models. it creates a different vibe it's like It's more chill. Everybody's, um, I don't know, I haven't worked with that many models, but I feel like our photo shoots are very relaxed and empowering to people. I think a lot of people think, oh, I couldn't be a model. You know, my friend Des was like, I'm kind of, I'm excited and kind of nervous. And I was like, you know, you got this. And like, it's just cool to see because at first, well, one thing I learned is don't do the thing i'm the most excited about first save Mm -hmm. it to the end yeah yeah. because people are nervous at first if they're not models you know they can't just like slip into that perfect thing and rock it out you know the way that a professional model does Uh, but they get there by the end and by the end they're like unbelievable unstoppable so gorgeous
0: (laughs) yeah no it's it's definitely dope because it's like there seems like people feel like there's these rules that you have to abide by to become quote unquote successful. Um, And it's just like this myth that we've all been indoctrinated into and (laughs) just like seeing your process and seeing like, Oh, like these are all the garments and then you have your Etsy store and then you have word of mouth and people probably DMing you on Instagram and trying to,
1: I'm trying to up my Instagram game. Um, It's, it's another place that like, I've never been good at social media um, and it's not something I'm used to putting a lot of time into, but I'm really starting to see the value of it. And this last week, like really showed me that there's actually incredible conversations that can come on social media and, you know, it gives you access to a much bigger world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think just along that lines is like giving yourself time to like grow on something, whether it is a new platform or a new way of doing things. It's like. Yeah, like you're not into like SEO marketing, but you've gotten so much like success thus far without those things. So now it's like thinking of, oh, like how can we onboard this? And maybe it's reaching out to somebody that you meet in our organic way that's like oh in my day-to-day job I do marketing and SEO optimization totally. cool let me have hey, my hit friend me up if do that's that that's your thing well that's uh, that's that's like anybody listening out there
1: if that's your thing and you feel like you could be that person for in please hit me up yeah yeah
0: but it's like that's <laughs> that's how things work like shooting your shot like connecting the dots and, right. and just asking and putting people in places to succeed like like just even today like Widen and Kennedy, a uh, uh, oh, advertising agency that I've worked with before, they they made a post on Instagram that was like, "Hey guys, like we're we're back and fully into the office again, and it's been a long time, but we needed that break." And it's like in the comment section, I'm like, "Oh, sweet! <laughs> like let's uh, set the vibe for an intentional and mindful workplace culture, and uh, let's do live meditations yes. in person every single week in New York." japan portland (laughs) portland all of that like and you can hire me to do that you see and you have like it's like that's what i want it's like yo like portland bring me in multiple times a week for a couple months let's do like a contract situation like fly me out to new york so i can (laughs) be in their office and do the same thing fly me to japan so to do their office and Uh... it's like i if you have like the vision or if you kind of know what you want roughly instead of just being in this like disconnected visionary like oh i don't know how it can get done i'm like i'm telling you how i can get done like right now and you gotta you
1: gotta shoot a lot of shots but shoot the shot every day everybody because exactly like i saw i saw that this morning i was like yeah uh i mean you have to try and you know i i tell my son all the time i'm like he, he gets really frustrated about making mistakes and i'm like every you have to make mistakes i'm like if you're not making mistakes you're not trying and so you know people worry so much they don't shoot the shot because they're afraid they're gonna miss okay so you miss so what yeah like nothing happens i mean and with it with a bigger business like this like flops are flops it's true like if i order a style that's just totally unsuccessful that definitely becomes my problem like what do i do with that mm-hmm. um what do i do with those clothes
0: what do you do with that
1: <laughs> yeah good question i mean Thankfully, I mean, honestly, usually I just, I try to order a small quantity of a new style. I always go small on new styles and I I just hope that they'll sell over time and they dwindle. And then when they get down to like the last few things, I'll kind of bargain bin and sale bin it. But sometimes the mistakes are bigger than that that happen. And like that's kind of what this past week on Instagram was about, is moving on those mistakes. I I realized Instagram's a great place to spread the word and be like, okay, like we had these pants that literally this gorgeous fabric that they sewed inside out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but I never wanted to sell them as my original vision. So it was like, what to do with that? And there's... You, you, you put it at cost, lower than cost. I mean, this stuff moves. People will still rock it. It's still good clothing, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just move it at a cheap price. I think that's the answer.
0: Move it at a cheap price. <laughs> well, this may be a large question, but what is ethical fashion?
1: What is ethical fashion? Um, I mean, having just done a whole week on this, you can. there's a um, a highlight in my Insta story called Fair Fashion if you want to geek out and do a lot of reading. Um Ethical fashion, to me, means your ethics across the board, your your values go deep into every bit of the process. So that means ethical fashion includes sustainable materials, materials that are going to decompose, materials that aren't, you know, organic versus regular cotton because conventional cotton pours pesticides into the soil, into the rivers nearby, into the vegetables that people who live nearby are eating, you know. Um, and so starting all the way there, like ethical with the materials, ethical with how people are paid and their working conditions. Um, and you know, that includes physical space in a factory that includes hours that they work, that includes days off, that includes paid holidays, that includes things, um, that people are paid a fair livable wage, paid promptly and on time. Um, that me that I pay promptly on and on time as well. Um, I'm included in the paid promptly and on time. Like I need to pay my manufacturer. Um ethical that everyone's taken care of basically in the mm-hmm. whole process. Ethical fashion means that of those probably more than a hundred hands that have touched one final garment, they were all treated well.
0: Yeah. It it feels like
1: it's a huge it's, task. it's
0: ju- yeah it's a huge task because there's so many different <laughs> like places to be accountable for and well, some and i'm learning that like
1: fair trade in general like first of all fair trade certified usa means absolutely nothing i'm just going to put that out there they you know they want to collect their fees and they don't have any follow-through in terms of checking up that places are really following these standards of production but people who really care about fair trade there is a few other organizations out there fair trade federation fair trade world they actually won't touch the garment industry they works most of the time with agriculture like with chocolate with coffee with these kinds of things because um it touches less hands mm-hmm. like when you get to the it's the garment industry is so complex I mean, even if you want to be the best boss possible, how are you possibly going to have contact with every hand that touches a garment? There's just so many people down to the people who grew the cotton, who picked the cotton, who milled the cotton, who made the textiles, who shipped the textiles, who cut the textiles, who, you know, trimmed the threads, sewed the garment. I mean on and on and on and so you have to i i try to do the best i can in the process i am by no way saying that i'm doing it perfectly and my goal every year is just to kind of try to keep meeting more people you know Mm -hmm. um keep going to the side of the world where things are made just keep being present keep trying to see more of the process because when you see things you find what needs improvement
0: yeah most definitely so what do you like doing outside of making your business your life (laughs) I think it's a beautiful life that you've created for yourself. <laughs> but how do you like to enjoy yourself? How do you stay connected and centered with yourself and with your son and your friends and the family while steering this Una Pluma ship?
1: Wow, you think I'm collected and centered?
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm just projecting.
1: Yeah, I don't think I am. Um,
0: I'm asking, how do you like I, find? How do I find that, that find peaceful
1: place? Well, I i mean, cooking and eating good food, getting together with friends. I, I am learning how important contact with community is and just trying to, you know, host dinners, have dinners with friends, get together with people over food. That definitely brings me peace. Um, I have my like one to two minutes in the morning. It's really literally barely that, but I do every morning make a point of, you know, putting my good thoughts and grounding and intention into the day. Um, what else do I do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I mean, I'm a, mo- I'm, a, I'm a single mom of a 10-year-old and I run my own business. Like, those two things pretty much occupy my life.
0: Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> well, before we started the podcast, this is a podcast first. I... Saw a a deck of cards, and I thought it would be cool to bring them out. Yes, from my bathroom. So there's these 49 (laughs) great questions. I shuffled them. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna pull one from the deck. We can run through a couple of these.
1: It's like tarot, but not. I
0: know. I thought it was dope. I was like, (laughs) oh, great! Like this is this is awesome. So the first question is, what does a perfect day look like for you?
1: Oh wow, um, a perfect day. I, I don't I don't know if I believe in perfection, but a great day um is warm I love summer uh it involves waking up kind of late-ish honestly I love to get up at like eight or nine um I would have my peaceful moments I would have my coffee and then I don't know probably like some mix of getting outside and riding my bike or something doing something active outside and getting together with people um maybe creating something of some sort whether you know, I recently went off on like a great day for me. It might involve like painting a wall in my house. I love, uh I love sponge painting walls. <laughs> something creative, something active. Mhm. Yeah.
0: I like this. I like that too.
1: What about? Do you, are you answering the questions too, or is this one-sided?
0: Uh, you can pull a card for me. Okay, I'm gonna, gonna pull anyone? one.
1: Would you like to be famous? In what ways?
0: Whoa. <laughs> I would like to be infamous. (laughs) (laughs) You already are. Uh, uh, (laughs) True. Um, I think I can deal without the fame, but I would like to be successful in whichever way I deem that. I feel like fame may be a part of the success because in Western culture, it's like, it's rare. I I guess it's not rare, but like I have a platform and for me to become successful, my platform has to be massively distributed, and with anything that's massively distributed and gaining popularity, fame is a part of that. Um, so I'm not seeking fame, but I am seeking success. But you wouldn't mind? <laughs> no, no, no. It's like that means I'm that means like I'm able to support myself and totally. and get the things that I that I care about. Like I express to somebody like success is just having access to the preferences. To right? your preferences, it's like I want to do, I want to have like X amount of massages a week. I want to do Brazilian jiu jitsu. Well, success is being able things. to have
1: your perfect day every day. Like it's it's having the time and flexibility and freedom to do yeah. what you want to do.
0: That's all I want. And it's like if there was no fame attached to it, I would be more than happy because <laughs> I would be completely off of social media.
1: But if it came with some fame, it wouldn't be the end of the world.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, don't mind attention. Next question. If you can change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be?
1: Whoa. I don't want to disrespect my parents. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a parent. Uh, thank you, mom and dad. Um, anything about the way I was raised? Oh, I feel like I had a good upbringing. Do I have to change something about the way I was raised?
0: You can add something. You can be like, oh, I wish that like I got introduced to creatine so I'd have extreme <laughs> muscle mass. <laughs>
1: i guess yeah i wish my parents had been more into food um (laughs) no i think you know my mom my mom's not a huge foodie in any kind of way she's kind of like an Mm anti-foodie and our refrigerator like food was never a super exciting thing of course there was food to eat but it was never like oh wow let's try this new exciting thing i'm making you know um Yeah, more excitement over
0: food. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing.
1: I feel like I'm, because now, like, yeah, I feel like I would love, I mean, I do love food, but I think I would eat more food and love food more.
0: Yeah, I've always been excited about food. (laughs) But even nowadays, it's like, I don't take the time to develop, like, Layers of flavor and build it. I'm more so just like get to the finish line as quick as possible, yeah, and it's like, oh, throw some salt and pepper and like a little whatever seasoning on it rather than like, oh, see, I'll go slowly, for the layers just like slowly like adding layers and profile in essence to mm. a dish and building that richness. I need to have a little bit more patience and direction in developing those flavors because then I can enjoy the meal even more because I like taste,
1: yeah, it's it's a creative process.
0: Totally. Cooking. Yeah, one of the many I'm involved in.
1: All right, Aaron, another another card for you. What I'm you ready. got? If you could do something dangerous just once without any risk, what would you do?
0: Whoa. It's <laughs> a good one. Oh my gosh, without risk? Without risk it's means not you dangerous. could it's not no, dangerous. no, it's it's
1: like you know you're going to survive type of thing. Like oh, you could shit. do this super dangerous thing and you're going to be fine.
0: Oh, man. Oh. But the, the like the it doesn't like remove the fear from it. I'm just trying to think of like the scariest thing in the world. The and
1: scariest like, thing that excites you.
0: Oh. The scariest thing that excites me. Um I think it's just like moving across the world and just like having zero plan or anything similar to what you've already done. Like you've already (laughs) experienced that. And I I just did a podcast (laughs) with my friend Brandon, who uh, at a young age decided he was going to just like live on the road and play music and not have any direction outside of just like following following, the passion, just following it. And there's a part of me that like romanticizes that freedom, as does a lot of people, but like actually doing it. And I've been, like, tiptoeing closer to it and i have been like putting it back? out. What holds you back? I do like having, like, routine. There's, like, a part of travel that does get exhausting. Like, I experienced that in Mexico City where I was, like, there for, like, nine days. And I was, like, like I wasn't feeling good. And it was just, like, oh, after, like, four days, I was ready to come home. Yeah. And well, it's just, I think, like, when you don't have being that
1: somewhere, home. well, yeah, I guess it depends. I, I totally agree with that. But I think... What shifted that for me was deciding that somewhere else was home. Mm-hmm. You know, like making home across sure, the Sure, sure, for sure.
0: <laughs> I think doing that but not but like literally like putting in my thirty day notice like today. Yeah. And be like thirty days, I'm gone. And then the next like By like, that one. The, way the next month. It. Yeah, the next month is just offloading all my shit and just being like, Oh, I don't know. And I think I would be closer to that, um, with more consistency with uh like corporate like virtual clients like if i just had like the full year it's like oh i can but bet see, on i can bet on like this instead of just being like kind well, of like I a la think... carte like like meditation workshops a la carte i'm like no i I like having the structure of being like this is what i could expect this month and granted it's like well oh, there's no expectations but it's like there's a certain threshold of knowing how much income that you're making to I think su- to sustain that.
1: Income is definitely the thing that keeps most people from making a decision like that, like yeah. I'm going to move halfway around the world. Um but I think you have to I mean at least for me it's you know if you have skills, which you clearly do because you um you have a skill that's portable with you, you know? I mean everybody's got skills. Let's put that out there. Then you're just taking what you do somewhere else and it's and and i think the idea of going to one place versus tons of places like very few people can successfully live on the road i don't know maybe you'd want to but maybe you wouldn't but at first i feel like you said move somewhere Mm -hmm. and you know that is kind of what i did and i think you just have to have the confidence that your skills transfer wherever you are
0: yeah no they most definitely do it's yeah but it's like i'm not i think the wall is not this insurmountable thing. Like, I don't feel like there's any tension around it. It's just like seeing the opportunity and having that inspiration and that drive because I've been trusting the intuition so much more now, where it's like if an idea comes up and I'm like, oh, like I'm not building any sort of barrier between me and executing it. And if it's something that's genuinely there, it's like I don't really hold myself back from those things anymore. Last card.
1: Dun, 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 dun.
0: This is like we're pulling tarot. I actually pulled uh, the star today. I I asked. I was like, all right, I'm open to what you have to express to me, universe. Pulled the star. I'm like, damn right. I don't like that question.
1: Vetoed. Executive decision. Oh, Uh, you pulled like four.
0: (laughs) What is your motto?
1: What is my motto of the week? Um, Of your life. Of my life. Oh, God. Problem solution. Um, there's gonna be problems. What's the solution? Be part of the solution. No, I mean problem solution. That's that's my biggest one. There's gonna be problems. There's gonna be hiccups. There's gonna be all these things. Let's find the solution.
0: Mm-hmm. I resonate with that wholeheartedly. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our beautiful listeners?
1: Thanks for listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Alana, and thank you all for listening to Opening Presence.